and welcome to Diaries of a Lady Gardener. If you think gardening is cool and would rather take a trip to the garden centre than go out-out, you found the right podcast, but also you're not in the minority. Research from Draper Tools has revealed that over 80% of young people officially think gardening is cool, mainly because of its benefits for mental health and the environment. Draper Tools are back for season two as sponsors of the Diaries of a Lady Gardener podcast. So why not join me in following them on Instagram at Draper underscore tools. In this episode, which I was buzzing to record in person, I got to meet the lovely Meg from Equinox Artisan and learn all about medicinal herbs, foraging and a little miracle pot of gold that I'm officially obsessed with along with some of her other amazing products. Meg is also a volunteer beekeeper at the National Trust Arlington Court and a fountain of knowledge. We had such a lovely day recording the podcast, eating cake, drinking tea and roving around Arlington. Came away feeling super inspired and like I'd had the best kind of therapy session. And now on to the episode. Enjoy! Hi Meg, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Very excited to be at your house today, seeing your lovely garden. I know, it's so nice to be socialising in person. Definitely, especially when there's so many people online that I've spoken to um, on Instagram for such a long time, but just haven't had the chance to meet in person, so it's nice to be finally out and about. I know, it's lovely and I'm really excited to show you around. Yes, can't wait for our little tour of Arlington this afternoon. (laughs) Um, So we're here today to talk to you you about lots of exciting things like your volunteer beekeeping at the National Trust and your amazing products at Equinox Artisan. Um, But just to start off, I thought we could talk a little bit about how you got into gardening um, and where your journey began. Um, So from when I was really small, like my parents have always been avid gardeners. So many a weekend when I was younger was spent visiting garden centres, which wasn't that exciting when I was younger. Uh, Now, Love it. Honestly, the dream dream weekend trip. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was always kind of there in the background. And then I think moving here and having the space to grow things. You know, if you've got empty beds, mm-hmm. you want to fill them because they look nice. Um, yeah, so that was always kind of, you know, and having my mum. My mum lives really close by, so she'd come around and bring me plants from her garden. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess I was shoehorned into it a little bit. Uh, not that that's a bad thing, really. <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing. Um, and so you do quite a lot with medicinal herbs. When was it that you kind of started venturing into those? Um, blimey. Uh, I think that was before I got into sort of real gardening. So oh, okay. I um, stopped using kind of traditional cosmetic products Mm -hmm. quite a lot I want to say like seven or eight years ago now um and started making my own which weren't medicinal herbs I just was using kind of oils and butters um and natural products so Mm -hmm. free from chemicals um and then that kind of snowballed and naturally led into an interest in herbalism I guess Mm -hmm. um and how various different plants that we see growing outside can be really beneficial for us Mm -hmm. um yeah, and taking a more sort of holistic view of, of health. So I, you know, try, I mean, they have a place, but try and avoid kind of modern medicine where I can substitute it for something herbal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that started off as just an interest for myself. And then probably four years ago, I decided I'd maybe like to start sharing it with other people. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's when Equinox Artisan kind of started, I guess. 
Amazing. And can we talk about a few of your core products? So my favourite one, I've just been given a pot and I'm super excited for it because I feel like it's perfect for me. <laughs> but um, the pot of gold seems like it is literally brilliant for absolutely everything. Um, I mean, obviously I'm biased, but <laughs> yeah, I would say so. So it's made with calendula, which is infused in hemp oil. Um, so we've like extracted all the really beneficial parts of the plant. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's my, my go-to for everything. Dry skin, sort of um, insect bites, nettle stings. <laughs> that's, the, that's the one that I'll be using it most for because um, not a day goes by that I don't get my legs are basically from the knee down are nettle stings yeah and I found it really you know useful for taking the sting out Mm -hmm. um any kind of inflammation so if you've got uh I don't know um you know a sprain or something Mm -hmm. it sort of can be useful for that uh it's just a really good all-rounder um and it's got some really nice kind of nourishing butters in it um, sheer butter and things so really good for just dry cracked skin as well you know when you've been gardening all weekend and your fingers <laughs> start to crack it's really yes. good for that definitely what we all need is gardeners <laughs> um, and what about some of your other products what other things do you um, so at the moment I've got a body butter which you will get to try out later yes I can't wait um, that again is so everything I use is just oil based so um, most of it uses hemp seed oil mm-hmm. because it's sort of the closest to our skin um, oil so it's really easily absorbed without sort of blocking your pores oh, okay um yeah so that's one that again I've made that for years and made it and gifted it to family and friends and then decided that actually if they enjoyed it maybe mm-hmm. everyone else would um and then I've got quite a few new products which are on the way um which are more focused on the kind of herbal healing side of things mm-hmm. so I've got like a deep heat salve oh wow um a targeted face cream um a bruised salve oh that's another one <laughs> that i need probably handy um yeah so i'm uh, while i'll still do the cosmetic side of things i'm leaning more towards kind of herbal healers mm-hmm. um yeah because like i said it's i'm passionate about sharing it with people really yeah and the products are really amazing they smell incredible and the first thing that i noticed actually i have a little burn on my arm so i put some on when i got here um was that although they're oil based they're not oily products it's not like an oil that sits on your skin or isn't easily absorbed so that was probably the first thing that I noticed it's quite like a a nice product to use as opposed to something that sits and makes you feel sticky um yeah which is like I said it's the sort of hemp oil is really easily absorbed so Mm -hmm. it's not you're not walking around not wanting to touch anything because you're going to get oil all over it (laughs) (laughs) and I've had in the past with other things so Mm -hmm. yeah and I think I I believe in my products um, you know, I'm not just trying to sell things that I wouldn't use. Mm-hmm. Everything goes through a lot of testing of me trying it and trying it and peddling it on all of my family before uh, <laughs> before it actually, you know, goes for certification and then and then becomes available. So amazing! And so to create the products, you obviously you pick the flowers or do you where do you source your flowers from currently for these kind of products um so at the moment I'm trying as much as possible like I take my little girl out I've got a little two-year-old um and we go out foraging most days Mm -hmm. um so I'm trying to source as much as I can locally you know and pick it because one it's fantastic to be out in nature and sort of connecting with it and connecting with what you're using as well Mm -hmm. so it's not just something that you buy that gets sent that you plonk in some oil you know you're going through the process of picking it and really connecting with the plants as you do that um 
Yeah, so uh, probably 80% of what I use at the moment is foraged and then dried by me. Um, and I'm kind of talking to people locally at the moment to see if I can maybe plant some seeds of the wildflowers that I'm using mm -hmm. um, to be able to kind of reach that sort of self-sufficient herbalism. Uh, it's the dream, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, to be fair, 80% is quite impressive already. Um, so hopefully you won't have too far to go until you can be that 100% self-sufficient. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> and so once you have sort of picked the flowers, what, what do you do to them? What processes do they go through? Um, so everything gets dried, whether it's in the dehydrator, if it's got quite high moisture content, mm -hmm. or it just gets laid out on trays out in the sun, which we have loads of today. Yes, <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, obviously it hasn't been so great, so I've been using the dehydrator a lot um, in the past few weeks, which is, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so everything gets dried, so it's really dry, and then it will go into, I've got a cupboard full of jars with all dried herb matter in. Mm -hmm. Um, and then as and when it's needed, I mix the herbs in with an oil, which is at the moment is hemp seed oil, sometimes it's sweet almond. Mm -hmm. um, and then that is left in a dark place for six to eight weeks, to, oh, okay. which is called a, a cold extraction. Mm -hmm. So you can heat it to do a quick extraction, but then you lose some of the medicinal benefits. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it's all cold extracted and then it gets strained and then used in whatever I'm uh, whatever I'm using it for that sounds amazing and so with the way that they're processed does that mean that sort of all of the nutrients the beneficial elements of the flower and does the scent stay as well um so in some of them it does uh I've got a rosen elderflower face cream that mm -hmm. I'm working on at the moment I know the elderflower smell is really apparent um I think a lot of the kind of high pollen flowers mm -hmm. are they retain their smell really well whereas some that are maybe don't have the kind of powdery pollen on oh okay they don't seem to smell as much or they get kind of overridden by the other things that go in um which isn't necessarily a bad thing because calendula actually doesn't smell very nice when it's dry oh really <laughs> <laughs> no um yeah and then uh, in a few of them i'm using essential oils to kind of add a subtle scent as well mm -hmm. so um, it's a balance really but yeah the really high pollen ones do tend to retain as well which is which is quite nice yeah that's really interesting I actually didn't know that I've um recently as literally this week I picked a load of sweet pea flowers um because my sister's getting married in April next year and she um she originally asked me about growing flowers for the wedding and <clears throat> God knows what I would grow for an April wedding. Yeah. Um, so we went down a bit of a different route, but I thought it'd be really nice if I could dry some confetti so that there is something homegrown there. Oh, I love that idea. Yeah, and so I picked loads of the blooms and laid them out in my greenhouse on like wooden boards, thinking it probably wouldn't work or it would take like a couple of weeks for them to dry. When I went back two days later, so it was Wednesday to Friday, they were all sort of shriveled and dried yeah. and crispy and they still smell amazing. Um, and I honestly couldn't believe how quick and easy it was. It's amazing actually how quick the process happens with certain plants. You know, you yeah. can use them for a day and they're already at the stage where they're usable in, in various other forms. It's really interesting. Definitely. And then, so I've tried a few other things. So like cosmos and dahlias, which obviously aren't as scented anyway, but um, 
they're all currently in my greenhouse drying. Luckily, we've got such good sunshine this week, but that's about as far into drying flowers as I've got to at the moment. Fingers crossed for you. Once you get the bug, that's it. There, yeah. Be a, yeah, there's rarely a clear surface in the house that hasn't got some form of something drying on it. <laughs> and then the dehydrator must be really useful. Oh, as... The dehydrators are absolutely fantastic because, I mean, not so much for the summer, but once you're getting into kind of autumn time, you've mm-hmm. got elderberries and rose hips and things like that, which mm-hmm. um, I don't make for selling, but I make kind of herbal medicine for my family and that we use in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, so having it then is just invaluable because once things kind of, especially with the high moisture content, yeah, once they start to go, it's you know you don't want to go out and forage and then waste all of that produce and waste what you're getting from nature by it going off so definitely it's a really good preservative method yeah, definitely um so other than the medicinal herbs you do have a lovely little veg patch in your garden what kind of things are you growing this year um so this year last year was a bit of a fail because we just didn't have time and obviously in lockdown everything was bought by the time we got there <laughs> um, but this year it's actually gone quite well so we've just harvested the last of our potatoes amazing um, which my little girl has found the most fun thing ever <laughs> dig a potato oh there's one so excited um and then we've got some sweet corn but I'm a bit concerned because it doesn't look like it's doing a lot it's funny you mentioned the sweet corn <laughs> um I don't know if you've seen on my Instagram, but I've had big troubles with the sweet corn this yeah, year. Yeah. And it's one that I've always had success with. Um, I have actually, this weekend, I harvested the first ear. I saw. Which appeared out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and it was semi-pollinated, so that was very exciting. I'd call that a win. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but there are, it probably is only a third of the, um, I don't know what you'd call them, stems, stalks, yeah. that have produced ears, and the others are just bare. And I don't know what See, has happened. this is my problem. I don't know if it's... We planted them really late in the season mm-hmm. because we were quite late getting the beds knocked together. Um, so I'm really hoping that it is just that they're late mm-hmm. and things will happen. But um, yeah, watch this space. I'll update <laughs> you. Um, and then we've had really good success with like kale and everything like that, mm-hmm. which has been great because I use it in everything. Was um, that what we ate for lunch? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and pumpkins. The pumpkin's doing really well. And I'm really hoping that I manage to grow one big enough to put my little human in at Halloween. Oh, she that would saying, be so cute. Can I go in it, mummy? I'm like, it's not big enough yet, but we're working <laughs> on it. Um, yeah, and being able to show her how things grow and where food comes from has just been invaluable, really. Definitely, because we were talking about earlier how there is such a disconnect between sort of where our food comes from, because it, <clears throat> you buy most of it from the supermarket or even if you buy it from a farm shop, you still don't really understand the process it's gone through. Like um, loofers, although they're not necessarily, some, necessarily something you'd eat, since growing them this year, every single person I've spoken to says that they thought that they came from the sea. Yeah. And it, so did I. <laughs> it, would never, it just never occurs to you that that's something that you could grow... It's bizarre. So no. I've really enjoyed watching your, your looper journey. It's like really interesting. <laughs> it's been so much fun and I think I've got three at the moment. Um, but the other thing, when I came to visit Arlington, um, which is just next door, um, a couple of weeks ago, the lady there was telling me about the pinery. Yes. And I couldn't believe it, <laughs> that you could grow pineapples in this country. Yeah. Yeah. So they used to light fires underneath the old building to heat it enough. So that they could grow pineapples. That is crazy. Is um, which is now where we have our beehives, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, so very exciting. But it's that kind of thing where you just, you don't, 
understand where these things have come from until you've seen it. Yeah. Um, I'm always amazed by things like cabbages, that the seeds are so tiny, <laughs> yeah. and then you harvest this huge head. Yes. And all of that has come from a little tiny and seed. And that was a very impressive cabbage that you harvested. Thank <laughs> you. I'm still getting through the red cabbage that I made from it, but it was delicious. Um took me probably about 20 minutes to cut it up it was that huge yeah but um love the purple veg (laughs) um so you mentioned that last year was a bit of a fail for you and it's something I always like to talk about on the podcast (laughs) um do you have any epic garden fails to share I do actually so this year out of my front window you'll be able to see some very sparse sunflowers (laughs) if we go out there later that was supposed to be a wildflower bed (laughs) it's actually just a weed bed because I planted wildflower seeds and I got really excited because things were sprouting and I oh the wildflowers are coming there's not any wildflowers out there it's just full of weeds and I was too reluctant to weed them out Mm -hmm. because I thought they might turn into wildflowers but they haven't so I now just have a a weed bed that's got five sunflowers in it (laughs) but I think we'll try again next year yeah I can fully (laughs) relate to that as well my little wildflower patch because you, with wild, with most other flowers, you know what a cosmos seedling is going to look like yeah. or what a sunflower seedling might look like. Whereas with the wildflowers, they're a bit wild. You don't necessarily know. <laughs> um, but mine is basically just weeds and everyone said that they the seeds compete with the weeds and mm. it can be a bit of a nightmare. Just knowing what to sort of weed out, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think we'll revisit that one next year. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, this year I've decided I'm going to treat my wildflower seeds like little princesses and I've sown them in um pots in the greenhouse for now they've germinated very successfully and I'm going to prick them out this weekend and I'm going to prick them out into trays and I'm going to grow (laughs) them in trays and I'm probably going to plant I did plant one pot out um just to see how they've got on and they haven't died yet they've been out for about a week and a half now yeah so before the sort of summer autumn the summer season ends and autumn starts maybe just as autumn starts i'm going to plant them all out and from their trays happens. and see what happens and hope that okay. the molly if you coddling have any luck then maybe that's what i need to do next yeah i mean they're wildflowers so i was like oh i'll just lay this mix down you know they grow wild so mm. you'd imagine that they seed quite easily yeah um and it's frustrating because the mix i had had a lot of medicinal kind of herbs in it as uh, well okay. so i was like oh that's brilliant you know more to sort of go and chat to um, yeah yeah no it's not happened so it's funny because so many people i've spoken to have had a nightmare with wildflowers and like like you say they're meant to be one of those things <laughs> just chuck them out and i've probably spent about 50 quid on wildflower seeds over the past <laughs> few years and never once have i had that majestic no, wildflower patch no, i got like four poppies out the back mm-hmm. and that was that was it so yeah I, I think the only actual flowers oh i did have some lacy phacelia um, which came from the bumblebee conservation. Um, they dropped off some seeds to our allotment. But other than the lacy phacelia, the only other flowers that have grown in that patch are two sweet pea seeds that self-seeded from last year because it's where the sweet peas were. Fabulous. <laughs> and they've obviously not had a structure to grow up, so they're just kind of crawling along the floor. We'll crack it one day. Yes, one day. Um, so in terms of what people can grow in their own garden for medicinal purposes... Do you have like a few plants that you would really recommend are good to get started with? Um, 100% calendula. Mm-hmm. Super easy is, to grow yes, as well. Really easy to grow, really beautiful. Um, obviously, it's good for wildlife as well mm-hmm. and the benefits of it. So, I mean, my pot of gold uses calendula infused oil. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really gentle on skin, so it's kind of safe for little people as well. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then internally, it's really good for kind of coughs and colds and digestive upsets. So it's a really good all-rounder. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you've got, like you said, it's easy to grow and you've got kind of the beautiful blooms in your garden that you can keep picking and they'll keep coming. Definitely. So yeah, that's a good one. Um, mint, which mm-hmm. I'm sure lots of people will grow anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got heaps of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that is a really good kind of introduction to herbs as something other than flavouring. So mm-hmm. we like all drink peppermint tea after meals in this household because it's really good for digestion. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's one of the ones that, you know, you might buy some kind of mint supplement if you've got stomach upset, but maybe taking that leap into harvesting it yourself and using it is a really nice way to kind of connect and realise how easy it can be to, yeah, to sort of get to know various medicinal herbs and and how to use them and am i right in thinking that you could literally pick some mint leaves and put them in boiling water and you could drink that as a kind of peppermint tea exactly so you don't have to dry it i mean obviously if you want to preserve it Mm -hmm. then um you kind of want to dry it out Mm -hmm. but yeah you can literally i go out after dinner sometimes pick a few leaves off the top chuck them in the cup um yeah and it's it's really is that easy Mm -hmm. and it just is such an easy grower like you can you can't really kill mint, can you? Even no. if you do, you just cut it back down and it comes back twice as big the no, next year. You can't really kill mint if you try. No. <laughs> um, but that's definitely I... one to plant it. Like, if you're planting it in a herb garden, it needs to go in, in a pot. pot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we discovered that one year over at my mum's. Her whole herb patch just was taken over. Oh, really? By yeah. All these different types, which mm-hmm. was fabulous, but um, no room for anything else. Yeah, I've got it actually quite a lot in one the wildflower patch which we don't talk about um but it, it seems to just be working its way through my wood chip paths as this <laughs> relentless herb that i'm never going to get rid of yeah it smells nice but it is a bit annoying yeah so i mean if you can cut it down and dry it and then you've got a, a supply of your own homegrown mint tea perfect <laughs> um are, th- are there any others you'd recommend um not to be growing in your garden but i guess you're constantly trying to get rid of nettles. Yes. And they actually have brilliant medicinal benefits. Oh, really? Um, so you want to kind of take them before they get too big. So young mm-hmm. nettles, if you can kind of weed them out when they're at their really infantile stage, mm-hmm. that's when they're best. Um, I have thousands of yeah. little infantile ones. <laughs> and they make a really fabulous tea. They're really rich in iron and vitamins. Oh, okay. um, yeah, so they're a really good kind of way to use something that may otherwise end up in the compost mm-hmm. heap um yeah so i think it's i mean anything that you can grow culinary herb wise mm-hmm. probably has other medicinal uses that you know it's easy to look into and just kind of think oh yeah i'd like to grow that so i'm growing some chamomile at the front at the mm-hmm. moment and they um, look so pretty and they're so beautiful and they're really good for sleep oh, so okay. um you know, things like that. It's just taking that step. You might buy chamomile tea in the supermarket mm-hmm. and not think anything of it, but actually it's something you can just grow at home and, you know, then going out and picking it and putting it in a teapot. Yeah. And having that connection with the herbs and the outside is, yeah, invaluable for me. Definitely. Um, and then going back to the calendula specifically, um, first of all, I was going to ask, is there a specific colour that's better than others or are they kind of all round? Um, So generally just the like orange pot marigold as opposed to the ornamental calendula Mm -hmm. but they can all be used. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just the pot marigold is the kind of traditional. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that is, would be my go-to and what I always grow but equally if you've only got ornamental in your garden already Mm -hmm. then 
there's no harm in kind of utilising what's around you, you know, and, and uh, yeah, working with what you've got, I guess. Perfect. And then the other question I had on that was, is there a particular stage of the bloom that you pick it at, like at bud stage, at sort of when it's in peak bloom, when you... Um, so ideally when it's in peak bloom, mm-hmm. because obviously in bud stage it hasn't reached its full potential. Um, and then once it's kind of gone over, you've lost a lot of the benefit from mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, so in, in sort of peak, which I know some people might be a little bit apprehensive about doing maybe because you want to enjoy them fully. But I mean, they are something that if you keep picking, yeah, you know, you, you can utilise them throughout the year. And because they have such a, a long, long season as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so optimum, I mean, there's going to be no harm if you get a few that are maybe past their best. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for the, for the mass, sort of most beneficial perfect I always think of it a little bit as early deadheading because when I go to the allotment I quite often a lot of my um like cosmos stems are quite short this year and part of me is like oh it's a shame that they're really short but I'll pick them anyway make little posy blooms because ultimately I'm only going to have to chop the deadheads off a week later anyway exactly so if you can utilize them for a bit longer for whatever purpose Mm -hmm. like you say for cut flowers and a posy or for medicinal benefit, if it's something you're going to have to do anyway. Yeah. Um, and I always leave a couple to kind of self-seed mm-hmm. um, for next year, which works fairly well. So. Oh, yeah. perfect. Um, <clears throat> and so I thought we'll move on to talk about your beekeeping at Arlington. Yes, very exciting. Very new. Um. Yes. <laughs> um, but I feel like it's the perfect stage to talk about it because you're sort of, you've just got started the hives are fairly new, as in a few weeks, yep. months? Yeah, so we picked the hives... Well, we picked the bees up for the hives on, like, mid-July. Mm-hmm. So quite late in the season. <clears throat> like, ideally, we would have got them in the spring, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's just learning on the job, really. Um, and it's fascinating. So mm-hmm. fascinating. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so how did you sort of... How did the opportunity come to you in the first place? Was it something you'd always wanted to do, or was it kind of a... A bit of an opportunity presented itself and um it was very much an opportunity presented itself although before I had my little girl it was something that I'd been really interested in mm-hmm. getting into um so the head ranger over at Arlington who I I used to work at Arlington so I know kind of the people who work there just messaged me out the blue and said oh I know you like foraging would you like to be a volunteer beekeeper <laughs> um, which seemed too good an opportunity to pass up really um and we're kind of following a natural beekeeping way of doing things Mm -hmm. um so we put the bees in end of july i think we transferred them over into their forever hive and then we've checked them once since then just to see how they're doing whether they're going to have enough honey which i think we're going to have to feed them because it's we got them quite late Mm -hmm. um yeah and we'll just sort of leave them to it every winter and then yeah, hopefully they'll be all right. <laughs> Perfect. And when you say natural beekeeping, will you be harvesting any of the honey or will you kind of be letting them live as bees should um, live? Yeah, so living as bees should live in so much as they'll be left with their honey over winter. Whereas mm-hmm. conventional beekeeping, you would kind of take the honey out and harvest it and then feed a sugar solution over the winter to see the bees through. Whereas we will leaving them and then any surplus honey when we open them up in the spring Mm -hmm. that's what we'll take so it's about kind of causing as little upset to the natural cycle you know if they were in the wild they wouldn't have people coming and taking honey and replacing it with sugar so we're trying to kind of follow that as much as possible really Mm -hmm. um yeah because it's definitely more about inviting more pollinators into the area than getting honey Mm -hmm. so 
I actually saw your bees the other day when I was visiting and <clears throat> they're so close to the walled gardens where there are so many beautiful blooms yeah. for them and there's the little wild, it's not even little, it's quite a big wildflower border um, and obviously it's great for the pollinating vegetables in that garden yeah. and different bits and pieces so you can just see like a, a wave of benefit to having them. Oh definitely and I think also the educational side of things so eventually you'll be able to come out of the walled garden into the kind of bee meadow mm -hmm. and connect with the bees and sort of yeah hopefully show people that they're not just scary stingy things you yes. know they have a real purpose and they're really important to you know our wildlife diversity mm -hmm. and so are your bees in the hive they're honey honeybees yeah yeah so they're honeybees um and we're hoping to expand so we've got two hives at the moment mm -hmm. um we're hoping to split the um the bees into four hives come the spring um and then there are plans for some natural hives so like hollowed out logs and stuff to oh, go okay. around the estate to provide more habitat which <coughs> obviously we won't be interfering with them at all mm -hmm. but just providing yeah providing habitat for them um and sort of rewilding a lot of areas so um planting more wildflowers and a bit more diversity than just grasses and, and um yeah that sounds amazing <laughs> it's so nice to see the um i was really lucky to have a bit of a behind the scenes tour but <clears throat> hearing about the plans that are sort of going on there it's amazing to sort of see it in the early stages and then hopefully watch it come yeah. into life it must be really rewarding to be a part of that yeah, process it's really it's really nice kind of being brought in and there's plans to kind of plant up some orchards that were I mean they were orchards years ago and then they've sort of fallen into sort of neglect mm -hmm. um so to be getting them back to how they were um and I'm really lucky that I've actually had the opportunity I'm sort of being given the opportunity to plant up some medicinal herb borders around those orchards mm -hmm. um and maybe provide like some education to people about medicinal herbs and how they can be beneficial for us as well as bees and butterflies and all the other wildlife mm -hmm. Um, so that's quite exciting. Too. That sounds very exciting. Um, so talking about workshops, is there anything that people can do at home? I know that they're obviously planting wildflower borders we've talked about is sometimes a little bit difficult. <laughs> but if someone was wanting to sort of create a bit more of a wildlife friendly area, um, we've had quite a lot of advice from different people on this. But what would be your sort of recommendations on that? Um, I think sort of diversifying what you're planting. Mm -hmm. So I... Like, for example, for me, throughout the year, there's various different things that you can forage sort of as the year goes by. So you can start off with, like, wild garlic in the spring and then move on to kind of the florals and blossoms in the summer. And I guess it's the same for the bees and mm -hmm. things like wildlife. They need something all year round. So rather than having something that will just bloom for a very short period of time, mm -hmm. you want to kind of strategically plan for the space you've got. And you can do it in whatever space, but having something you know something available in spring for pollinators and then summer and then maybe thinking about something in autumn or if you've got fruit trees or things like that leaving some fruits on them for the animals and for the wildlife um yeah as opposed to looking at it as you know you take all the fruits or whatever mm -hmm. if you can leave some behind so there's something for wildlife all year round as opposed to just in the summer where it's really bountiful i think that we can definitely we we'd get a lot of benefit from it as well um this year a really big focus for me has been trying to extend the season so that it's not just when things start in april may or bloody june because of the <laughs> weather this year um and then it ending in august and 
quite a lot of the, my allotment neighbours have sort of started covering over their beds already and they're kind of like done, done for the year. Whereas I'm really keen to kind of extend it as much as possible yeah. for the wildlife, but also for my own enjoyment. I think that a lot of people think that gardening is only for the spring summer months, but there's so much you can get done in winter. Oh, and it's yeah. one of those opportunities where you don't necessarily have to walk around deadheading and harvesting and doing all of those other things with your crops. So you can kind of make the most of it to kind of integrate a few new things into your yeah. space and get ready for the for the sort of core season. Yeah, definitely. And also then you're getting the benefits of being outside for longer, you know, in winter when things get cold and we tend to get a bit miserable if mm. you can be out and have projects on and things then you know the mental health benefits are amazing as well aren't they definitely and so on your workshops um are they sort of coming up soon um so i'm hoping from october uh, i'm working with a local lady who does guided walks mm-hmm. um and she has given me the opportunity to run a kind of I don't want to call it a foraging walk because it's not going to be a structured go out and find stuff to eat walk. It's mm-hmm. going to be more walking around and learning a bit about what's growing locally and there'll probably be some things you can eat and some things that you can harvest and make medicine from. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so a kind of mix of both and just sparking that interest in people you know, who maybe would like I said earlier, buy some nettle tea from the supermarket but yeah. wouldn't think they could go out and harvest nettles in the wild. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and sort of encouraging people to connect with nature and find what it can do for them as well as, you know, that they can do for it, I suppose. Yeah, because there's so many benefits from even like from being out in nature to sort of like learning about those things. And I think a lot of the time it's not even necessarily that you need to be, you'd go go out on a foraging walk and then for the rest of your life you go out foraging every weekend to see what you can find it's kind of like that one little spark of inspiration might sort of um domino effect into other parts of your life yeah definitely um and you know it, i can't just go for a walk now like i'm constantly <laughs> kind of subconsciously aware of what's growing where mm-hmm. and I, I get it when I'm driving as well I'm like oh there's that thing I've been looking for <laughs> I can't just stop like in the middle of the road and get out but it's having that awareness of where things are and what season you're in and mm-hmm. where they're growing and it's not it's not something you have to absorb and learn all the information straight away yeah you know it's a really enjoyable kind of slow learning process you might think oh this year I'm going to go and pick blackberries yeah so you spend that one year you know learning where the brambles are growing in the spring and the summer and enjoying the flowers from them Mm -hmm. and then waiting for the fruits you don't have to do it all in one go it can be like a gentle sort of you know and then next year you might add elderflower and elderberries onto that it's Mm -hmm. it's a really nice kind of it can be slow paced it can be fast paced and it's yeah it's just lovely to connect with the outside and have a reason for going outside definitely and there's so much you can do with it um we were talking about sort of like the different alcoholic beverages <laughs> that you can create from some of the um, lovely forage things so outside. I've had a really fun year. Um, I made some elderflower liqueur um, in, in elderflower season, which you had the joy of sampling. Absolutely <laughs> delicious. Um, and then I'm looking for more, maybe doing some kind of herbal cocktail. I don't know how it would work, maybe a workshop or maybe a online kind of sharing. Mm-hmm. Um because things like, so Himalayan balsam, which grows everywhere, and it's not great, it's really invasive. Um, but if you pick the flowers before they go to seed, you can infuse them in gin, um, which we 
a lovely amber colour and then if you add tonic it will turn pink. That is Which, amazing. <laughs> um, you know, you can be sort of your own little herbal alchemist um, and feel like you're making magic, which is cool. Um, yeah, so it's not just about medicinal benefits mm-hmm. and it's not just about finding mushrooms that you can eat. You can also have loads of fun with it, um, you know, and people who maybe feel a bit funny about eating stuff that they've picked outside, mm-hmm. you can infuse it in alcohol, then, <laughs> then you can drink it. And it's so delicious. There are so many different things you can make. I remember my sister making um, those wild garlic muffins. I'm sure that that was one of your recipes. (laughs) They were absolutely delicious. Um, And we do loads of things throughout the year, not necessarily just with forest stuff, but from stuff we grow with things like I've done. um, Rum infused with rhubarb, gin infused with rhubarb. My mum makes raspberry vodka. And then every year at blackberry season... You just kind of, I think every year I discover something else you can do with blackberries, whether it's jam or pies or... I think the first thing I ever made that I'd forage was blackberry wine. Oh, really? And it was really, yeah, that was what kind of... (laughs) I was like, oh, you can make wine from things that you pick outside. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and it it is amazing, all, all the kind of different things. You know, there's something that will appeal to everyone that you can make out of one ingredient definitely and it's so much fun like I always like to save those kind of things for a bit of a rainy day where like I might go out blackberry picking knowing that it's going to be raining a couple of days later and then you've got so much to do and things like freezing dehydrating you can extend the season of things that typically the harvest ends sort of like October time you can just on like traditional things but I mean I've still got elderberries and rose hips in the freezer from last year that I'll probably defrost to tincture make this year mm-hmm. um, for like winter immune support and things like that if you've got a little bit of space and you can dry or you can freeze like you say you can just keep things going so much longer it's um definitely yeah. and I think they make such nice homemade gifts as well um my mum is famous for her raspberry vodka um and every Christmas people get given that I think we did limoncello one year um, so good. Yeah, different jams and chutneys, and um, I've got a ton of pickled beetroot that my mum is whipping oh, wow. up this weekend. So I imagine a lot of people will be getting those for gifts over the coming months. It's, I mean, it's nice. It's then that heartfelt thing, isn't it? You mm-hmm. haven't just gone out and kind of thought, "Oh, I'm gonna panic by this." You've really put some love and care and attention into it connected with the outside is good for you, and then you've got the benefit of of being able to share that with other people. Definitely. I just think the possibilities are endless. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so I think that probably just about wraps up this episode. I feel like we've covered <laughs> so many topics. Um, but we can go and chat for the next, next couple of hours anyway. Um, but before we go, where can people find out more about you and your products and your adventures? Um, so I guess I'm on Instagram as equinox underscore mama if you want to see my foraging adventures with my little girl Mm -hmm. Um, and if you want to check out some more products then I'm on Facebook as equinox artisan or Instagram as equinox underscore artisan perfect and then hopefully people will also be able to come along to your workshops from did you say from October Uh, so from October and that'll all be through Facebook I'd imagine that'll that'll kind of be advertised yeah so from October coming along and come hang out with me and learn about herbs Oh, it would be so exciting. I'll definitely be there. Fabulous. (laughs) Perfect. Thanks so much. Thanks. Meg is such a lovely lady. Since our day out, I've been out foraging a couple of times myself, testing out my newfound knowledge. Plus, I now never leave the house without a pot of gold. 
It really does work miracles, especially on nettle stings. I can't wait to book in for her foraging walks and that tempting herby cocktail session. Don't forget, you can find her on Instagram and keep up to date with her adventures at equinox underscore mama and at equinox underscore artisan. If you've enjoyed listening today, please do subscribe to keep up to date with upcoming episodes and leave a review. In the meantime, I'd love to hear any of your questions and stories on Instagram at Diary of a Lady Gardener or via email diaryofaladygardener at gmail.com. That's all from me, but I'll be back next week with another fabulous guest. So, happy growing!